This is the golden question. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 19 of the Golden Question podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be answering the question, where I disagree with the Austrian school of thought. Again, as I said numerous times, these questions are going to become more like statements just because I would like to directly address a certain topic. And for the viewers who are reading the title of this uh, of, of the podcast, I think it's going to be much more favorable if they understood my point and what I want to get done in the video rather than just uh, leaving it ambiguous in a question. So the Austrian school of thought is a school of thought, obviously, it's, it's, it's in the name, that emerged during the wake of the Industrial Revolution. It's predominantly a free market ideology, very capitalist, very free market, and it's sort of the basis of the opposition against the new wave of Keynesian economics and Keynesian school of thought that has emerged in the 1940s. Now, the, the term Austrian economics hasn't really uh, emerged up until the turn of the century. And before, you could just say it is the, the sort of the economic school of thought, the most predominant. However, as I said, over the turn of the century, the rise of Keynesians came in, Austrians came in as an opposition to that, and they were more conservative, trying to conserve the more um, uh, the ideas of the economy that were more prevalent in, in the past. So their attempt to conserve it they brought up their own school, the Austrian school, and unfortunately right now it is a fringe idea. It's, it's in a very small minority, and very few subscribe to it. More people in today, especially in government and in large institutions, in large sectors of the economy, more people subscribe to the Keynesian economics. So I encourage if you... If you uh, if you believe in the free market, if you believe in the cap, if you believe in capitalism, definitely take a look into their works. Uh, Mises was definitely someone who is very well known in the Austrian school of thought. So you could read a lot of his works. And I agree, I would say, with 90% of, of what they teach. Now, really quick, I just want to uh, state that it's okay, and actually it's encouraged not to agree with someone 100%. Because a lot of people think that when, I, when it's time to formulate my worldview, I need to subscribe to someone's worldview. And if I subscribe to someone's worldview, that means I have to agree with them 100%. I don't think that's the case. I think it's important to formulate your own worldview and you could bring in different worldviews from, from different areas and uh, help build your own unique worldview in a way. And you can only do that by not agreeing with someone 100%. And I think that's very important when building your worldview. Um, and because it sometimes tends to make people subscribe to things that they don't agree with. And so they, they force their way to do that. 
And in an attempt not to do that, they sometimes block away really good ideas. So, I, I, again, I think it's really important to uh, not be afraid to not agree with someone 100%. I think, there, and this is especially the case for me, I do not agree with any single person 100%. You can agree with someone in, you know, in terms of their uh, religious ideas, but you may not agree with them in their economic ideas. You may agree with someone in their economic ideas, not in their political ideas. So for me personally, and I'm witnessing this in my life as I do research on certain individuals, I always find myself not agreeing with them 100%. It's either 50% or I agree with them on a certain field, but I never just accept everything somebody says in their entire worldview. And I think that is a good thing because it opens me up to more ideas. And in general, it helps me formulate my own unique idea. And I think that's important. So the Austrian school of thought is something that I was interested in. I said, hey, if they're for capitalism, then I must agree with everything they say. And believe it or not, there is something that I do not agree with them. And that is the concept of interest rates. Now, there is a phenomena about the capitalist and free market ideologies, and I've sort of hinted at it in my previous podcast when I was talking about some of the idea of what this system should be and how socialism is more prescribed as a system versus capitalist, which is a, or capitalism, which is a systemless society. And I think I need to expand a little bit further on that. And what I mean by that is capitalism, right, this idea of a free market, is more of an acknowledgement that people should be let to their own devices. People should control their own lives. People in a group should control their each, indiv- each individually their own lives. And in that sense, they whatever system they come up with, as long as it was uh, voluntary and they agreed on it, That's fine. And ultimately, in capitalism, if a group of people come together and they believe in a socialist idea and everybody in that party agrees, and as long as they're not infringing on the rights of anybody around them, that is still a capitalist approach because, as I said, capitalism is just the concept of letting people do whatever they want with their own lives. And that means making their own interactions with other people, forming contracts with other people. Capitalism is there is no set system that capitalism follows. Now, what capital, what other schools of thought try to do, and what um, what people tend to believe is that if you let people do whatever they want, then they will move to more free market and, and capitalist tendencies, which is the, the which is what the sort of end goal of capitalism is. But capitalism from the start emanates from the concept of letting people do their own thing. So I think if somebody came up to me and told me to define capitalism or define the free market or what, uh, what system do I believe in, essentially, I would reply to them and say, I believe in people doing their own things. Capitalism from the root says Do whatever you want. Let people decide what they want to do. And then somebody could say, 
if we do let, and this is where the opinion comes in, if you do let people do whatever they want, they will naturally tend to move towards the free market and this idea of a capitalist structure in which there is limited government and the economy ends up being more free. You have capital investments, capital formation, people tend to save more. And then you could go through the whole slew of, of things that capitalism subscribes to or that certain policies subscribe to capitalism. But you have to remember the root cause of this is because you let people decide what they want to do. And if you let people decide what they want to do and they go towards socialism, that's still in a way a capitalist approach because it's nobody's forcing them to go to socialism. They just naturally came to a voluntary conclusion that they want to go towards socialism. So that is the phenomena about this capitalist ideology because it's not a system. There's no rules in it. It's sort of a systemless, right? It's lacking rules and it it uh, frames itself around the idea of letting people do whatever they want. So I just want to emphasize that. Now, same thing with the Austrian school of thought. First thing is they believe that the people should be left to their own devices and that when people are left to their own devices, they formulate more, more, uh, you know, they formulate better decisions on what's best for them and they could formulate a more efficient economy. And this stems from a limited government or they will eventually go towards a system of limited government. So in that regard, I agree with the Austrian school of thought because it stems from letting people do whatever they want. Now, the second aspect is, if you let people do whatever they want, what can you infer what will happen, right? What system of, of economics, what system of government will people go towards if you let them do whatever they want? Well, they believe that people will naturally move towards using gold as a form of money or having a form of paper currency that is backed by gold. They will believe that government is inefficient and they will try their best to limit the, the 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 size of government and the use of government in in, a, in an economy or in a nation they believe that government has the main role of protecting your your liberties your rights your freedoms and they believe that obviously free markets are the most effective and efficient way to get goods and services out into the market in all industries so those aspects those conclusions those inferences that Austrians make when you let people do their own thing, that I agree with. The only thing I do not agree with them is their future predictions of interest rates or what they will think people will do with this concept of interest rates. Now, Austrians have debated heavily over the concept of interest rates. Many, till this day, debates still go on among Austrians on what are interest rates, um, what's their role? What what is the 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 right interest rate that should be an economy? How is this interest rate controlled? Now, the conclusive view, I guess, or the most um, prominent view among Austrians is let the market decide interest rates. If right, if it's ne if it's negative, if it's positive. But again, when you say let the markets decide the interest rates, you're you're going back to square one, right? And what I mean by that is, if somebody asks an Austrian what their stance on interest rates are, 
and they reply, let the interest rate should be controlled by the market. That's already a given in the ideology. That's already a given because originally you've stated that the economy should be controlled by people. But as I said, there's another aspect of the school of thought which tends to predict what will happen once you let people do their own thing. And so when it comes to interest rates, their policy so far, their idea, I shouldn't say policy, they're not a, a, a political party or any of that. Their idea is that interest rates get controlled by the market. Again, that's a given. But they think that when times are good, people tend to spend um, more. They're then tends to be too much debt, too much consumption, not enough savings. So there's a lack of savings. And so interest rates then start to rise to encourage people to save. And then when people save too much, then interest rates tend to go down. But the confusing part is Austrians don't subscribe to these ideas of booms and busts and cooling down the economy and the economy getting too hot. They don't subscribe to that. So if they don't subscribe to that and they subscribe to a more stable economy, then it's very hard to point your finger on interest rates. Because if the economy is stable, how do interest rates move in that stable environment? And this is where I think, and this is where I disagree with them. I, don't, I do not think, yes, the economy, interest rate should be left up to, the, to people, right? There should be nobody, there should be no central bank that enforces an interest rate. I do not subscribe to that. That aspect I agree with. But the follow-up is if you let people choose their own, uh, let people control the economy, let people uh, control interest rates, let the economy control interest rates without any force from, from any government or from any agency, then interest rates will go up and down and fluctuate. and Again, it gets even more confusing when you when you start saying up and down. Why is it why is it net positive? Why isn't it negative? And what's the what's the uh, what's the threshold? Is there a range that interest rates go through? So it's very confusing. As I said, Austrians till this day they debate it. There's a lot of you know people on one side saying, yeah, it's they have a definitive range. It must be between zero and ten percent or something like that, or zero and thirty percent. There are some that say it's somewhere between 0 and 5%. So where I stand personally on this idea of interest rates is I think interest rates are 0%. Not in the, um, not in the idea that it's going to incur debt, right? The idea now is zero interest rates are too low. And relative to our economy now, rel relative to our current economic situation, Zero interest rates entails, right, the things that it entails. It means too much debt. Um, it's time for, for interest rates to start moving up. We have a lot of problems because of low interest rates. That's not what I mean by zero interest rates. Zero interest rates for me are this idea that we, as society, people do not consume debt. They get rid of debt. And when you get rid of debt, the the idea of interest rates tends to dissipate because interest rates are only in concern with what price you put towards money and it puts a 
a sort of return on money when you lend it out. I think that's a main aspect of interest rates is that it pertains a lot to debt, right? Interest rates and debt have a strong link. Now, Austrians tend to tie interest rates to a bunch of other factors, right? To the idea of production, of prices, of futures, right? In the futures markets, they tend to throw interest rates all over the economy. I don't agree with that. I think, yes, you can have premiums on other things, right? If I want to sell something and somebody's willing to pay me to finance this and then I throw an interest rate on there, I think that's a little bit different. I think when it comes to the sale of goods and services, you can throw premiums in there to, in order to allow the, the buyer to postpone certain payments. But I wouldn't consider that interest. I would only consider the, the rate, the premium, a interest or the name interest, right? When you obviously loan someone a money and expect them to pay you back and then you provide a loan on that money. And it's simply between an exchange of money. You're simply exchanging money for money and then you add a premium on your side. That premium I would consider the interest rate that I'm referring to. But when it comes to the sale of goods and services, I would just consider that a premium, a return premium, a risk a risk premium that you can add. And that I don't consider interest rates. But again, Austrians, they lump everything as interest rates. They consider even profits, even profits having some sort of interest rate baked into them. I do not agree with that. And now another aspect of Austrians that I disagree with, and it's it's tied into interest rates. So it's I'm gonna combine this into one aspect that I disagree with them in, and that is um, debt. Again, Austrians believe you should allow people to do whatever they want. I agree with that. Now, if you follow up, what happens when you let people do whatever they want? Austrians believe that consumers shouldn't overindulge in debt. They're going to try to keep debt to a minimum, while businesses should go into debt. Now, not overindulge also, but they have more of a leeway when it comes to debt. And that debt for consumers are more bad and debt for businesses are is less bad. I fundamentally disagree with that. I think debt under all circumstances, both for consumers and for businesses, is bad. And I think that you shouldn't uh, create a distinction between consumers and producers because both their economies, both their financial situations, I think are parallel. They're, they're equal, right? An expense for a consumer is the same thing as an expense for a business. Those expenses might not be the same. They might be different in some mechanics, but they're very parallel. They're very similar. Just as how a business needs to stay profitable a consumer needs to say profitable, right? There's so many links that you could throw between a business and a consumer. Now, some of those links have different names, but they're the same fundamentally. So if for consumers, you say debt is bad, it should also follow through that for producers, for businesses, debt is bad. And for consumers to obviously fund that debt and and loan out their savings to businesses. I disagree with that. I think debt, if you're going to say it's a bad thing, it's a bad thing for everybody. It's not a bad thing to some and a good thing to others. 
Neither is it something that you should balance. This is also something that Austrians say that debt needs to be balanced. You can't overindulge in it, but you shouldn't just completely get rid of it. You should somehow balance yourself in it. Again, when something is bad, it is bad. That's it. You can't balance yourself. And I, I really compare debt to alcohol. Now, again, this is outside of the realm of economics. This is more philosophical. But I, I really see a, a strong comparison, a strong link between the ideas of debt and the ideas of alcohol. Now, a lot of people, when they talk about the Fed, when they talk about the Fed drugging up the economy like a drug addict, like an alcoholic, they always make that comparison. Why is that? I think that debt, in a way, is sort of like alcohol. It's sort of this drug that you can abuse and then it becomes a problem. Now, when it comes to alcohol, people do the same thing. People say having no alcohol is not great because you miss out on some things and then having too much alcohol leads you into some problems. So therefore, you should balance your your alcohol um, your alcohol life in a way. You should balance how much alcohol you consume in your life. I don't agree with that. And I'm going to get religious now. So just be prepared. When the, when in, in scripture, right, in the Quran, in the Bible, especially in 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 the in the old testament there's there's a strong stance against alcohol where god completely bans it completely prohibits it he says nobody the, the law of the land should be that there is no alcohol do not consume it now i now if you take one sip obviously nothing happens to you so some people say all right well i could take one sip as long as nothing bad happens to me that should be fine but there's a reason why God has prohibited alcohol. Even though you, you could take it in a modest amount and you could balance your life, he's still banned it because the overall thing is bad. Right? It's sort of like, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna do another comparison. Stealing, right? If you steal one, if the, the concept of stealing is bad, and if you steal a couple of times, you could say, well, it's better, it's it's better than stealing stealing five times is is better than stealing 10 times. So then should I just, should I find a way to average my stealing? It's arbitrary, right? What is the spectrum that you're looking at? And what are you trying to balance? Same thing with alcohol, same thing with debt. What is the spectrum and what are you trying to balance out? What is the upper limits? And what is this middle number that you're trying to achieve? So if something is bad, you should avoid it entirely. Alcohol is bad. That's why now it's not the case with Christians. And I we can talk about how I think the the, the religion has sort of shifted and, and been changed to, to allow some of these uh things to get to get excused. But especially in Islam and the Quran, God specifically says to ban alcohol. He says he bans it before. God said he banned alcohol before. Some people changed the rules and then abused it. So God gets rid of alcohol or bans alcohol in his law. And it's not like you can drink it in a modest amount. You could take one sip. He completely bans it. It's a bad thing. Even if you take a couple of sips, you won't feel the negative effects of alcohol. But still, if you take it too much, 
then you could start feeling some of the negative effects. What that upper limit is, is very different for everybody. Some people can control themselves and they could push that upper limit even farther. Some people are very, um, you know, they don't have that much control. Their body quickly gets, uh, gets affected by even the smallest amount of alcohol. So their upper limit is, is brought in a lot closer. So that's why when you have something arbitrary, when you don't have a clear defined limit of what the maximum is, just just get rid of the whole thing and in a sense, play it safe. So I think that the link between debt and alcohol is very strong for a reason. Debt is sort of like the alcohol in an economy, right? When you have alcohol, this is sort of the biological uh, ecosystem and how we should get rid of uh, alcohol in that ecosystem. And now the 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 economy, um, it's alcohol in quotes, is debt and you should get rid of it entirely. There is no let's balance it. Let's excuse some debt. This is the, the unfortunately, this is the mistake that Muslims believe uh, previous religions of God, Christianity and Judaism, how they got initially banned alcohol for them. And now they sort of threw in some excuses in there. I think we're doing the same thing with the economy in which people are now throwing excuses in for debt when got, when clearly and in in some cases you could pull out some verses both from the the Bible and the Quran how God discourages debt right and I'm not too sure about the Bible but there are some verses in there where God discourages debt and he says and he, and I think there are even some verses where God refers to it as a sin. And in the case of the Quran, God, one of the longest surahs, I'm sorry, not the surah, one of the longest ayats, one of the longest verses in the Quran is referenced to contracts and debt. And you could look at some verses prior and some verses after that talk about debt and contracts. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. And the stance in the Quran is debt is something that's bad. Interest is something that should not be used, right? Usury. You cannot use interest. And e- even the simplest thing as going to pilgrimage, going to Mecca, God says before you go to pilgrimage, and I think, I'm not sure if this is Hadith, I think this is a Hadith. God says, before going on on to pilgrimage, before going to Mecca, you need to pay off all your debts. You can't have any debts before you go on your pilgrimage. So we have a strong uh, attention to debt and the discouragement of debt in Scripture. And we and I we can correlate this into the economy, where I don't see how debt can help the economy. And I think I've made an argument for that. Um, especially my previous episode, uh, not my previous episode, I think two episodes before. So to conclude this episode, I f- disagree the concept of interest, and I, I, I tie that in with the concept of debt that Austrians hold. Now, the original premise is let people do whatever they want. That I agree with, and I think I have to make it important that that's the case that Austrians are making. You have the main Austrian school of thought. The main idea that they hold is to let people do whatever they want. And in in their case, if you let people do whatever they want and they tend to 
do bad things, then let that happen. But their case then also migrates towards if we let people do whatever they want, they will naturally do these good things, which is limited government, uh, or you can even look, look at it philosophically um, and, and, and theolo theologically about letting people, uh, if you let people do whatever they want, they will naturally become good citizens, good acting citizens. It's when you start imposing things on them, that's when they try to avert those things and do um, morally wrong things. But it also works economically. When you let the economy do its own thing, when you let people do what they want in regards to the economy, they will move towards more efficient, more effective, and overall better ways of, of operating in that economy. So that's the second, uh, second sort of premise to their main idea of letting people do whatever they want. And you may say, well, if you let people do, what if you let people do whatever they want and they do bad things? Or what if you let people do whatever they want and they go towards socialism, let's say? There's two ways you could, there's two different aspects to that or to the, to the response that I'm going to give. First is we could argue that they won't. We will argue that if you let people do whatever they want, they will do good things. They will move towards a free market approach. Second thing is, well, if that's what they do, Given that if they did that, which we believe they won't, but if they did, then there's nothing wrong because they've chosen to do that. They've made their own voluntary action. They, they made a voluntary action. They made a conscious decision to do that. And if they do that, they should suffer the consequences. And we ultimately believe God will, will judge them at the end. So, but, but that's not, that's sort of a, we could say a rare case because we know that if they do follow their own intuition if they do make their own decisions, they will do good. They will go towards, the, the, again, um, uh, socially, they will do good. Culturally, they, they will have good morals. And economically, they'll move towards a free market. So in terms of that aspect of the Austrian school of thought or any free market capitalist school of thought, I agree with. But what people tend are going to tend to do their sort of their economic tendencies in a way you can call it that i disagree with the debt slash interest rate of that argument in which austrians say well interest rates are going to be controlled by the market and they're going to fluctuate and debt is sort of an okay thing that people need to balance that i disagree with i think if you let people do whatever they want interest rates are going to be zero the economy is going to be stable because it goes in alignment with with uh against the keynesian view against this idea of booms and busts. The economy has a, a period of expansion and a period of contraction that I disagree with. I think the economy should stay stable. There are some aspects that inflate. There are some inflationary pressures on the economy, such as um, overall the, the standard of living is going to increase, the number of goods and services is going to increase, um, and some, you know, this this can get a little bit confusing, but some aspects right in economy uh, a company their revenues could start to increase so there are some inflationary forces it's not like everything stays flat but it gets balanced out by deflationary forces so um the price of some some uh some everyday goods and services some life goods and services such as food water those prices will go down uh prices of old goods in a way 
So some uh, anything that's sort of been in the market for too long will start to decrease in price. So looking at it um, for, in terms of the entire economy, right? I think the term is aggregately, if that's a word, or the entire thing. If you look at the entire economy, you have both inflationary and deflationary forces. And they balance out and the economy remains stable and that creates stability you can also throw in gold gold is a stable form of government gold doesn't make you money right gold doesn't pay you anything but you either you also can't lose money uh, when you hold the gold you can't lose the any value because gold's value is consistent it doesn't decay or it doesn't erode away it stays how it is and people will always value gold no matter what right? The, the value of gold is always going to remain constant. So that's why you need to have a stable form of money. The economy overall is stable. You have inflationary and deflationary forces that balance out. Austrians don't stress this enough. They talk about the economy being stable and how we should use gold, but they don't stress the stability aspect because it goes in disagreement with their ideas of, their, of, of there being an interest rate. Because when you talk about interest rates, you're going to have a fluctuation. Because as I said, if you if if you ask an Austrian what do you think interest rates should be in in a in a free market, if if people were left to their own devices, what do you think interest rates should be? They're going to tell you that it's going to fluctuate. But if you say it's going to fluctuate, then you're also implying that the economy fluctuates, and then it goes against what you said about stability and how gold is stable so their their ideas i think they get tricked up a little bit on interest rates and it goes a little bit into in contradiction with their ideas of of stability of of the economy not going through inflation not uh, not going through deflation they understand that aspect they understand stability they understand gold is a stable form of money but then they screw it up when they talk about interest because then they say interest rates need to be net positive. Well, if they're net positive, then you're automatically implying that there's deflationary forces that overwhelm the inflationary forces in an economy. And if you talk about interest rates going down, um, uh, let's say let's say interest rates are at 5% and then they go down, then you're implying that during that period, there are more inflationary forces than deflationary forces. So, and then if you still argue that overall, over time, interest rates stay net positive, then you're essentially saying that overall, an economy is always deflating, no matter what, or that the deflationary forces outbalance or counter um, the inflationary forces to a greater extent. So, I think my view is that, and it's much more consistent, my view is that Right, I believe everything the Austrians say, but interest rates are zero percent. People don't consume debt. People and and they go hand in hand because people don't consume debt. There is no need for an interest rate, so interest rates are just flat zero percent. Your the the value of your money is there is no premium on your gold, and there's no discount on it either. So your gold is whatever your gold says, um, and there's no premium in there. Now, you could talk about the time value of money, but I again, as I said, 
in that aspect, when you talk, when you bring up the time value of money, then you're sort of advocating for debt. And in that sense, I would disagree. I don't think people would go into debt in a free market. And I would then also link it to alcohol. It's a bad thing that some people might do, but it's it's a bad thing that people are knowingly going to try to avoid and are going to try to keep to a minimum because they they know it is a bad thing. And there's really no... Um, and yes, there are... I take that back. There are, as I said, you could point to it statistically, economically, you could find ways to argue that debt is bad for an economy. And I try again to argue for that. I try to say that capital investments are much better than debt. Capital investments, you have a stake in the company. You care about the company long term because you want your your stake to be, become uh, to to grow in value. When you when you invest in a company via, via the debt market, when you loan the money, you only are interested because loans are have a maturity. Debt has a maturity. Investments, capital investments, don't have maturity. Stocks don't have maturities. So you're you're in it more for the long term. When it comes to debt. You only care about your fixed return that you pro- that you signed on the contract, and so as long as you get your return, you can care less about what what happens with the company in the long term. So that's the problem with that debt. I think you can argue for, uh, you can you can lay down a case on why debt is fundamentally bad for an economy or negative for an economy, and so knowing that, people will move towards debt. Or people will just move towards debt because God has told them so, right? Because they believe that God says that alcohol is bad, avoid it, and you should also avoid debt. So you can apply this the same two way two way line of thought with alcohol, right? Even if God hasn't, uh, even if God did not tell you alcohol is bad, you could still come to a conclusion that alcohol is bad and you could see the negative effects of it just as how you would see the negative effects with uh, with debt even though god has told you not to go into debt so there's two ways you could look at it either god has told me not to go into debt not to consume alcohol and so i won't or you could look at it into i don't believe in god but i do know that alcohol leads to bad things and therefore and also debt leads to bad things so and I don't believe in the concept of balancing because unfortunately that's what people now do. They try to balance their alcohol life in a way. They try to say, don't consume too much alcohol, but it's okay to have a little bit. And they apply the same thing to debt. And they, and unfortunately that has bad uh, negative effects because then you make an excuse for alcohol, you make an excuse for debt and it's a drug, it's an addiction. And so you, it's very hard to balance it. Which is why, again, for for religious people, they 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 see a a strong link between um, a debt and alcohol, and how since God has told them not to consume uh, alcohol, they they see it as a uh, as a sort of a parallel between alcohol and that is debt. So that's going to be the end. I'm blabbering for too long. Um, essentially, I. I am going to make more videos, um, and what I wanted to do with this uh, with this podcast is sort of lay down my philosophy, and in a more cohesive manner. I think I've 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 spread it out 
in the last couple of episodes in the podcast. And I think putting it all in this video, I talked about debt. I talked about interest. I talked about um, some of my religious beliefs in, in relation to the economy. And I think I've made a strong case for why I think that Austrians are wrong about interest. And that's what throws their whole idea a little bit in, in, in the air. Because if if somebody were to ask, like, if somebody were to ask you why is an Austrian, you know, Austrian economics the mainstream? I mean, it's clear, it's clearly laid out. Free markets are the best. Um, limited government, capitalism. They have everything laid out. There's evidence for everything. Why why isn't that the norm? Why did this Keynesian idea erupt? And I think it primarily has to do with their with their questioning of interest rates, with their with the uncertainty of interest rates, because the 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 economists of that time they didn't have a strong stance for interest rates. They didn't. They unfortunately they didn't just come out outright and say we're against debt. Interest rates should be zero. They sort of were left ambiguous. Uh, oh, we're not sure. And then that sort of gave the whole Austrian uh, school of thought. Um, a bit of uncertainty and uh, it created a sense of doubt. Well, you know, if they're not sure about interest rates, who says they're sure about everything else that they're talking about? And that's where some other schools of thought emerged in opposition. Something else I would like to say is also another reason why I think interest rates were left a little bit uncertain in, in the Austrian uh, economic school of thought is that a lot of people who argued against interest rates were socialists and were critiquing capitalism. And I think that scared the Austrians. Instead of agreeing with them on, on interest rates and saying, yeah, interest rates should be zero, you know, interest is a bad thing, they sort of got scared into thinking, if I'm for interest and I'm, I'm, I'm arguing in favor of, you know, interest rates in the economy playing a vital role in the economy then means I'm a socialist and that's the I think that's what threw the Austrians in, in a bit of a loop in which they now had to somehow justify their their case for interest rates and have it coincide and be consistent with their other argument and with with their main idea so that that's unfortunately something that people need to understand is it's okay to be against interest and be an Austrian economist at the same time or, or subscribe to the Austrian school of thought at the same time. And again, I do not believe in interest. I disagree with debt, but I am for the free market and for capitalism. I think that's the position that many Austrians were scared to hold because they saw that people in opposition to the to the Austrian. Uh, I, I'm saying it over and over again. Now I'm sorry. I can't even say it anymore. The Austrian school of thought. A lot of people who were opposed to that ended up being socialists. But I think maybe that is just a coincidence that the socialists, uh, or or it could be actually. Um, I know I cut myself off there. It could be actually that. The Austrians, uh, initially, the Austrians were for interest, and th which again is not consistent with their worldview. 
And then the socialists came, pointed out that discrepancy, and then it's it sounded like as if they were, um, and and then it gave the view that they were against the 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 Austrian school of economics because of their stance on interest rates. If that makes sense, I think it's because Austrians initially made a mistake in allowing the idea of interest rates in their philosophy, which then which is a clear inconsistency that hopefully I've laid out. It's a clear, uh, it does not align with their ideas of economic stability. And the socialists rightfully so pointed out that criticism and now it forced the Austrians to become defensive and now have to uh, very strongly argue against interest. And then, then it consequently gave the impression that anybody who's against interest is automatically a socialist and the, and again it fuels even a more defensive nature so i guess my goal and i'm just realizing as as i speak that the goal is it's okay to and it goes initially it goes back to what i've said in the beginning of the podcast it's okay to agree with an, an ideology but not 100 percent of it in this case i agree with the austrian school of thought the austrian economic uh the Austrian um, philosophy of economics. There we go. And I disagree with them on on a certain thing, and that is debt and interest. And it's okay. I still subscribe to the, their party, but not. I don't agree with a hundred percent, but I still subscribe to it. Um, and unfortunately, I think in the past people were scared to subscribe to it because they saw an inconsistency there and they disagree with one part so they threw the whole thing under the bus right because i disagree with you on this one aspect therefore i have to disagree with you on everything and i think that's the problem it's okay to disagree on something and accept everything else do not be scared into thinking if i disagree with you on this aspect then i must disagree with you on everything else i think that that's very important right hitler uh, he banned smoking or he was against smoking in a way, I think. I, I, I've heard stories where he banned smoking on like public places. I think he was one of the first um, one of the first um, leaders to do that. So is if you disagree with everything else he did, do you have to disagree with that also? No, you could disagree with certain aspects of him and agree with other aspects. So Austrians, initially they were... In uh, they were undecisive about interest rates, and initially they've sort of taken a gamble and went for it, which allowed this room, which allowed room for criticism, and it just happened to be that that criticism was from socialists. So now people tied that criticism towards socialism. So if you're against interest rates, automatically you must believe in socialist ideologies. You must believe in 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 this Marxism, um, uh, this Marxist idea. I don't think that's the case. I subscribe to the free market, subscribe to capitalism. I subscribe to the Austrian school of thought. I just disagree with them on interest rates that I think they got wrong. I think if the Austrian school of thought changed their stance on interest rates, then you could you could still say that you subscribe to the Austrian school of thought. You don't automatically become a socialist. So that's it. Uh, hopefully, I've gotten everything that I needed to say. I think I did. And as always, stay safe.